Hey, 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 how we doing, everybody? Welcome to SPACs. Wait, is it lefty or righty? I, I don't know. I'm a lefty. Mitch might be a righty. SPACs attack. Spencer Israel filling in for Mitch one last time. He'll be back in the driver's seat tomorrow. I'm here with my man, Chris Kachi, a.k.a. Chrisopedia. Chris, how's it going? It's going good. How about you, Spencer? Thanks again for uh, filling in here. We got a busy, busy show today. We got our guest segment coming up in a few minutes with uh, Emil Michael, uh, who's from DPCM Capital and the company that they are buying, Jam City. The CEO, one of the one of the founders, Chris DeWolf, will be on joining us in uh, about 10 or 15 minutes uh, talking gaming, mobile gaming, social gaming. I'm really excited for that interview. But we got a lot of news today, do we not, Chris? Yeah, we got two deals announced today, too, to talk about Spencer. So, you know, we're starting to see breathing coming back into SPAC land with deals being announced almost every day now. So, you know, for a while it was I could wake up, see no new deals, and now we're getting deals every morning. So exciting times out there in SPAC land again. All right, let's take uh, take us behind the headlines, won't you, Mr. Kachi? All right, guys. So starting out, one of our biggest movers yesterday um, we talked about on the show was QuantumScape, QS. Now, I did see that they actually had an event yesterday um, where they discussed battery innovations for mass adoption of electric vehicles. Um, So again, you know, QuantumScape, one of those companies out there, went public via SPAC, doesn't have a product out yet, a couple years away. Um, but this is a hot one. And, you know, no surprise that it was up yesterday as investors got some more insight into their future and future projections. So keep an eye out on QS to see if that movement can continue, um, you know, over the, the next couple days and into next week. Then former SPAC E2 Open, that's ticker ETWO. They announced this morning that they will acquire Blue Jay Solutions for $1.7 billion. So E2, um, you know, this is one, it's trading up 4% today. We're over $13. This is one that's traded around, you know, the $10 level for a while. Uh, Didn't get huge excitement post-deal. It's an end-to-end and cloud-based supply chain management SaaS uh, company. Um, So it's an interesting one. And now this acquisition, you know, know, maybe bringing a, a new story to the company going forward. So keep an eye out on ETWO going forward. And and then we have uh, Blade, B-L-D-E, Blade Air Mobility, entering into an alliance with Magni X for the electrification um, of seaplanes for urban air mobility flights on key Blade routes. So remember Blade, um, they have that electric vertical takeoff and landing um, that they're actually doing at several airports later this year. Um, And now they're getting a a new partnership announced today. Um, So keep an eye out on this one. You know, we've got uh, several companies in the EVTOL space. And, you know, Blade has had lots of news recently since completing that uh, SPAC merger. Then earnings last night from Matterport, uh, a company that's merging with GHVI. So first quarter earnings, they saw revenue of $26.9 million. That was up 108% year over year. Subscriber revenue, $13.8 million, up 84%. The annual recurring revenue now hitting $55.2 million. Um, subscribers, 331000 at the end of the quarter. That's up over 500%. Um, they also talked about expanding into South Africa and the Middle East through uh, relationships with resellers. So remember I said on the show yesterday, uh, one of the things to look forward to with the earnings was that they had made a couple recent hires um, to expand their international business. And, you know, that was definitely a highlight of the earnings last night. Shares were up, uh, you know, 3 to 4% this morning. It looks like we're fading a little bit now, up 1%. Um, this is one that's gotten some love on uh, CNBC. I know Josh Brown has uh, called this one out. Um, a couple times, you know, in that earnings report, you know, huge growth, triple digit revenue growth um, and, you know, subscribers up over 500 percent. So keep an eye out on this one. And SSPK uh, setting a merger vote date of June 10th for their merger with Weed Maps. Um, so we add that to the calendar, which is already, you know, filling in nicely for the month of June. 
then our two deals yesterday, FORE shares ended the day up 2% and DCRN shares ended the day up 1%. So another day of deal announcements ending the day positive. That's nice momentum to see. And then CCIV shares uh, down 1.4% on the day. It looks like that presentation yesterday, you can see on the chart there, you know, shares hit their highest point of the day right around the time of that presentation at, at one o'clock or going into it. And then they, they started to fall shortly after as again, you know, as I said, there wasn't really any new news. You know, there was rumors that, you know, they'd announced some big partnership, maybe a deal with Apple. Um, but, you know, ultimately that that wasn't the case. So this just turned into, you know, an, another presentation to, to show off the vehicle um, and hit on some uh, stuff going forward. And we do have our, our deals, IPOE, the merger vote today, and STIC, the merger vote tomorrow. Um, so keep an eye out on both of those. Spencer, were you going to jump in? No, I was getting ready for the for the good stuff, which is – Oh, okay. The deal I, thought I, I thought I heard you ready to go. Well, All yeah, right. you did, but I thought oh, I'm, I'm ready for these deals, baby. Let's go. All right. So let's turn to our deals. So up first, we have ticker PACX. This is Pioneer Merger Corp bringing Acorn Group Public, a, a financial industry savings and investing app, valuing the company at $2.2 billion, including an oversubscribed and upsized pipe, expected to close in the second half of 2021. Uh, interesting to note that Acorn CEO Noah Kerner plans to contribute 10% of his ownership into a new program, giving shares of the company to eligible Acorn customers and an additional 10% ownership uh, from some of the sponsors will also be added to part of this program. Investors in Acorn include PayPal, BlackRock, and celebrities Ashton Kutcher, Jennifer Lopez, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, so founded in 2014, Acorns prides itself as being a category creator and category leader. They offer subscription-based services um, for newer investors, so a dollar a month, three dollars a month, and five dollars a month are the current subscription offerings. Um, they're the largest subscription-based service for financial services with more than four million members. Uh, their churn rate only one point three percent, and after twelve months, eighty percent of the company's subscribers are retained. Um, growth ahead, they want to hit ten million members by the year twenty twenty-five with a massive total addressable market. Um, their, their customer base also changing. It used to be where the majority of people paid that $1 a month. They are now seeing where more people are upping to the $3 or $5 a month uh, subscription offering. And then they're also going to expand their pricing tiers. They're going to offer ESG portfolios, smarter banking services, and portfolio customization going forward. So revenue 71 million in 2020, guiding to hit 126 million in 2021 and 245 million in 2022. Uh, gross margins of 80% and subscription services hitting 79% of total revenue. Shares of this one were up, uh, you know, decent on that deal. What, what do you think, Spencer? I, it sounds like you know a little bit about uh, Acorns. Yeah, well, just one in chat if you've used Acorns before. Um, I'm just curious because I've always thought like of all of the, um, the, new, the modern investing apps, uh, whether it's a trading app like Robinhood or a ro robo-advisor uh, like uh, um, uh, Wealthfront or Betterment or, or whatever, or a platform like Acorns, I've always thought that the idea of Acorns is amazing right basically you invest your spare change right you you pay uh four dollars and sixty cents for a call a cup of coffee round up the extra 40 cents invest the extra 40 cents and then adds up over time it's a great idea invest your spare change but i i've never actually uh i, I i've heard of people using it i've had friends use it but i've never actually heard of anybody that's like had a lot of success uh and been able to build um, some, some wealth uh, through the platform. So I'm I'm just curious. Um, a couple people, couple people in chat say they've uh, seen a couple ones, yeah. Um, and and if you have, great, great, fantastic for you. I think the concept is amazing. Invest your spare change because we all have spare change. We all just kind of throw it away or throw it, you know, uh, under the couch or, or whatever. Um, but I've never actually heard of it. I'm sure there are people out there that have had amazing success. So I'm just curious if, if any of our uh, our viewers have. Um, 
Great. The, that cam guy says every few months he transfers the his Acorn balance into his uh, crypto account, which oh. that's fantastic. Um, so I guess it's working for you. Great. I've never used it myself. I'm just very curious to see because I've always thought the idea is ingenious. Um, but I had a, several people say, yeah, I tried it and it didn't really work for me. So Spencer, there's your growth right there from uh, that cam guy. How about if Acorns in the future makes it to where you can put your spare change into uh, crypto? Um, I don't know if they don't do that now. Do uh, maybe they I, it was not in their presentation. I didn't see yeah. anything about crypto in there, but holy cow! I mean, what a great idea that would be. But the the thing that stuck out for me, Spencer, is you know right now they have the the dollar, the three dollar, and the five dollar uh, offerings. Yeah. They're going to offer more services, more uh, pricing tiers, and then right now you have to kind of select from their uh, portfolios that they already have. And in the future, they're going to make it to where you can kind of customize and also some ESG offerings. So I think maybe that could bring some some more subscribers. I know the thing for me, I've never used it, but I've seen the ads before. I've seen Ashton Kutcher talk about it. You know, he he talked about it on one of the talk shows he was on. He, yeah. He's done ads for it. So Good brand awareness there too with the yeah. celebrity backing. Yeah, I, I don't know like what what uh, I've searched for on Twitter, but for some reason Twitter has decided that like they really 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 want me to see Acorns ads. I see ads for Acorns every every day, probably twice a day. And you're gonna see more now that you're uh, saying it out loud on the show. So couldn't have done that. That was a mistake. All right, we had one more deal, and then let's go to our guest segment. Uh, what else do we have this morning? All right, so our other deal announced today, we have ticker LWAC, uh, Locust Walk Acquisition Corp, bringing Effector Therapeutics public, valuing the company at $419 million. A $60 million pipe also includes investments from Pfizer. Um, So this is expected to close in the third quarter of this year, trading as EFTR on the NASDAQ. So Effector Therapeutics is focused on selective translation regulation inhibitors to treat cancer. Um, So this is going to help them uh, bring that pipeline to to life here. Um, And LWAC CEO said that their targeted translation regulation could have the potential to address multiple drivers of cancer. So they're taking a therapeutic approach. uh, treating where tumors have hijacked to preserve normal cell function. They do have a global partnership with Pfizer um, for some future development. So keep an eye out on that. Remember, as I said, Pfizer investing in the company here. They're also going to expand their lead candidate, Zotadafin, uh, into antiviral therapy for patients with mild to moderate COVID-19. So some COVID-19 trials upcoming as well. Um, and they'll present top-line data for a phase 2B kickstart trial um, in the future, partnered with Keytruda, the, the drug from Merck. Um, and then they're also going to expand into more 2A trials in the second half of 2021 for additional indications uh, now with that funding. So LWAC and, and Spencer, I got to highlight, this was an exclusive to Benzinga so we had this deal out on Benzinga Pro this morning at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time, an article out on the website as well. Shares halted at 7.48, and that official press release came out at 8 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. So if you're a member of Benzinga Pro, you heard all about this deal before it was even confirmed by the company. Um, so Spencer, you know, got to plug uh, Benzinga yeah. Pro here because... It's where I get my news, but this morning I was able to help contribute news to it, and we were able to get this deal out to our members. So, right where my mouse is on the screen, that's seven thirty. That's when the news hit our wire, and you can see the spike right after, right after that. And uh, while Chris mentioned is mentioning Benzinga Pro, I want to mention uh, the special we're running: uh, free or not free? What am I saying? Well, you get a free two week trial, but if you want your first month for less than ten dollars, you can enter the promo code thirty. Days three zero D A Y S pro dot benzinga.com. Get the first month for just under ten dollars. Uh, all right, Chris, that those were our deals for the day, right? Those were, I mean, two, okay. two big deals, and again, Benzinga with the exclusive and uh, Acorns, you know, a company that most people have heard of. So, big yes. day out there, big day. All right, let's uh, let's deep dive, let's unlock a SPAC with uh, with our guests coming up right here. 
All right, joining us now are Emil Michael, uh, the CEO of DPCM Capital, and Chris DeWolf, the CEO of Jam City, the company being bought. Uh, Emil, Chris, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Thanks for having us, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on. Chris, I'll let you take it away. All right. So I'm going to dive into some questions here. Going to try to get questions, you know, for, for both of you, but feel free to jump in, you know, if you have anything to add to, uh, you know, a question to the other person. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Chris. You know, this is SPAC's attack. We talk all things SPAC here. So the big question out there, you know, is why a SPAC deal to bring Jam City public and was a traditional IPO, you know, a consideration as well here? Yeah, everything was definitely a consideration. And as you may or may not know, <clears throat> like a core part of this deal was an acquisition where we're buying Ludia Corporation, which is one of the most creative gaming studios in the world um, and one of the largest in Canada. And so when we began talking to them last year, uh, we were also talking about how to take the company public and in kind of finding a way to bring the two together at the same time the SPAC was just the best vehicle to do so, to close both at the same time. Perfect. And then, you know, Emil, so you have this SPAC here that we've got thousands and thousands of private companies that you could choose from, and you landed on Jam City. So what were the big reasons that Jam City ended up being the uh, company that XPOA is bringing to the public markets here? I mean, a few reasons. Um, number one, we wanted to pick a real business, right? And if you looked at what happened in the last quarter with SPACs and pipes and all that, the companies that have had the hardest time getting through or whose stock prices have dropped of those of those that have been uh, projecting revenue starting in 2025. So Jam City has real revenue, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, cash flow positive on the cusp of material profitability. So that was design point one. Design point two was a founder-led company that still had the passion and fire to go for a long time and wasn't just looking to cash out. And that's the definition of what Chris has built. And then third, a growing total addressable market. There are 2.7 million billion gamers out there today growing. And they spend about 45 minutes on some of uh, Chris's games at Jam City. 45 minutes rivals the amount of time spent on Instagram, YouTube, all other media um, apps on your phone. So those three things combined are why we were we were glad to be selected by Chris and his team. Perfect. So I, I'm going to turn back to Chris here. You know, uh, I, I'm sure some people listening out there, they may not be familiar with the Jam City name, but perhaps they've played some of the games. So we have Harry Potter, Hogwarts Mystery, Cookie Jam, Panda Pop, Disney Emoji Blitz. Give us the background uh, on what Jam City is uh, all about. Chris, you're on mute there. Unmute your microphone. Jam City creates uh, super premium games um, that are massively social. And they're, they're really built to be played for many, many years. So in another, in another way of saying it is we make incredibly deep, rich, entertaining games. Um, that people will play for years, if not many decades. Perfect. And then, uh, Chris, one of the things you mentioned was the the acquisition of Ludia being part of this deal. So Jurassic <laughs> World uh, mobile game, I know that uh, one of my sons actually plays this game. Um, so I have seen it firsthand. So tell us more about Ludia and what that brings to the table uh, going forward. Yeah, it's a really interesting acquisition for us. Jam City has been... Um, very, a very unique company in that we've been able to grow both through um, organically in developing um, great games in our own studios and also growing through acquisition. Um, so there's a lot of companies in the mobile gaming space out there that either grow way more through acquisition or just organically. Um, we've done a great job of doing both. So over the last three years, um, we really wanted to prove out our ability to be able to acquire companies create um, a lot of value by increasing all major KPIs um, and then do it again. And so um, as we've had this track record of acquiring companies, integrating them into the company, um, we, we spent a lot of time with Ludia and they're a company 
that is incredibly creative. Um, they build deep, rich narrative games. Um, they have the lo a location-based game using AR and VR, which is incredibly exciting, which is, I think, the one um, that your child plays. And they're coming out with um, more interesting technology just like that. So they um, are similar to Jam City in that they have a value on premium products. Um, number one, we have a very similar corporate culture and they give us uh, more scale to be a public company. And then Emil, you mentioned, you know, selecting Jam City because, you know, you wanted a, a real company, real revenue, but also, you know, you got to look to the future. So, you know, we have this exciting game pipeline kind of laid out by Jam City here in the presentation. We, we've got Disney, we've got uh, DC, we've got HGTV, Star Wars and Avatar. How much did this uh, pipeline really play into, uh, you know, getting a deal done here and uh, growth going forward? Yeah, I mean, the pipeline is really important to uh, this business. And, and one of the key things is a scaled gaming company like Jam City that doesn't have just one title but has a lot has way more predictable revenue and profits, right? Because no one title um, is a majority of the business. So the fact that they already have the titles they do and are adding this many means that you can almost think about it as a subscription business. Um, and that's pretty attractive because... Um, the big gaming companies like Zynga and so on are thought of like that, or the small ones are thought of as a little more hit-driven businesses. So that's one of the reasons when you look at these titles, you're like, holy cow, these things could be explosive and really blow through any projections if uh, if they catch fire. So just, just you said I could jump in. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you about this pipeline anyway. So jump in. Maybe give us a little color on uh, when we're going to hear more or see more um, about these games because this pipeline looks incredible, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Emil hit every a lot of a lot of it right on the head. Um, just to explain the business a little bit more, we have seven what we call forever franchises, and each of those games has generated a hundred million or more in lifetime bookings. And that portfolio of games really, really makes up the bedrock of the, our revenue. And so how we grow, that, so that portfolio is growing. And how we grow even more is we take these new games that are in our pipeline, which we believe is the strongest pipeline that we've ever had in our history and one of the strongest, we believe it's one of the strongest pipelines in the industry. So we take these games plus our acquisitions and then we stack them on top of our forever franchises, which we have seven of them. And that's how we get our growth. Um, but as Emil mentioned, um, it's really the seven forever franchises that we have that make our revenue very durable year in, year out and create um, almost like a subscription based sort of an analogy uh, for our business. So, Chris, one of the things I notice is, you know, kind of a, a split revenue between the the owned games and the licensed games. Um, you know, that pipeline looks like a, a little heavier on the licensed side of things with uh, Disney, DC, and HGTV. What's the strategy going forward with balancing between, you know, owned games and licensed properties uh, going forward? Yeah, another really unique thing about Jam City is that we have a fairly equal mix between um, – owned IPs, uh, meaning uh, intellectual property-based games that we've created in-house, and then third-party intellectual properties and franchises that we've licensed from the largest entertainment companies in the world, which you mentioned many of them before, like Disney, Warner Brothers, NBC, Universal. And um, having that mix is critical. And <clears throat> um, let me tell you why. So I think what you're showing right here um, is Cookie Jam, which is one of the games that we've created uh, from an in-house IP that, that, that we developed. And the, the, the great thing about this game is, like, if you look at 2020 revenue here, 80% of the revenue in this game was generated from people that downloaded the game in previous years. So what that means is our games are built to last for many, many years. That's how they're designed. Um, in addition to that, when we're building in-house IPs, we have a lot of flexibility to create bigger franchises out of them. Like in the future, there could be, you know, we haven't modeled for this at all, but, you know, there could be uh, adjacent revenue streams in, you know, whatever form that they want to take. 
The third-party licensed IPs are incredibly interesting as well. <clears throat> um, you look at a game like you know, Harry Potter, when we launched that in 2018, went to number one in 40 different countries. And so um, the great thing about these games is there's a, a massive fandom around the property itself. And these super fans want to try basically any kind of, they'll sample any kind of IP, sorry, any kind of game or movie or TV show that has to do with their favorite IP. Uh, I, I just want to follow up for a second. Chris, can you speak a little bit mm. in regards to both those those business models and uh, which accounts for a larger piece of the pie and which is more of a growth driver going forward? They're, they're pretty even and they're both important. I would say the third party um, licensed IP that we take and then translate into a wonderful mobile entertainment experience is great because it brings a lot of players into the game very quickly. So maybe it gets out of the gates um, a little bit faster. Cool. Um, and we're paying, you know, a licensing fee um, for the use of that property. Um, but we're getting also more organic users coming into the game. So we're spending less on marketing. So it becomes somewhat substitutional for marketing. Got it. Um, does that make sense? Yep. yep. Okay. Want to make sure I'm not getting too, too wonky on this. Uh, and then for our own intellectual property, again, um, it's, builds up a little bit slower over time, but it gives us a lot of flexibility in the future to develop other cross-platform games and uh, potentially other spin-off games from those brands that we develop and we own. So both models are really important and really unique to us as a company. Perfect. So, uh, Emil, I want to turn back to you. You, you mentioned, you know, the huge growth of uh, gaming. I, I'm wondering, you know, was mobile gaming a, a focus area of this SPAC from the start? Or did, you know, the, the huge growth we've seen during the pandemic, you know, play into maybe putting uh, more of a focus on uh, mobile gaming uh, being a target area? Um. I don't, you know, Chris will tell you, I don't think that uh, the pandemic changed behavior in terms of the amount of time people were spending on games. So this is the, the amount of time sort of didn't change, which is actually good because that means you're not expecting a downturn when the pandemic's sort of fully over. But we in my SPAC uh, targeted four areas, companies that were changing the way we lived, the way we worked, the way we moved or the way we learned. And this is squarely changing the way we live because the amount of time people are spending on their phones with that computer in their pocket and specifically on games and media consumption. And that amount is extraordinary. And I think there's one chart that in this deck that has that. And we were just flabbergasted to realize that people are spending more time on, on, on cookie jam than they are on Instagram. And when you see that kind of uh, attention, and you think about the advertising revenue streams that could generate, the new games you could promote, the in-app purchases, you really get excited when you multiply that by, you know, well, it'll be 5 billion gamers in a couple of years. Perfect. And, and Chris, one of the uh, focuses on the presentation, we have Jam City Live. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what Jam City Live is about, how big of a piece of the pie it is now, and what the growth looks like for it? So it's incredibly important. It's the um, technology platform that underpins all of our games. All of our games integrate into Jam City Live. <clears throat> Jam City Live um, is a platform that uses machine learning, artificial intelligence, and data science to accomplish three primary areas, uh, which you've put up here on the board. Um, player acquisition, um, so it helps us automate our bidding and buying process when we're, um, when we're doing user acquisition or player acquisition. And what I mean by that is in any kind of campaign that we may set out to run, um, there could be tens of thousands, or there could be many, many thousands um, of variables out there from the type of creative we use, from um, where the campaign's running to who it's targeted to, to what the individual game is, et cetera, et cetera. So having machine learning to be able to automate um, all of those processes and very, very quickly tell you which campaigns are working and that you need to increase your spend on and which ones aren't working, which you need to quickly cut off is the difference really between 
winning and losing and bringing more players into your, your ecosystem. So the first thing it does, Jam City Live does, is it helps us bring more players into our ecosystem. The second thing, it helps with user retention and it customizes the, the player journey throughout the game. And it makes sure that, for example, in a game like Cookie Jam where we have levels, that the levels aren't too difficult where people get frustrated in the games, but they're not too easy, where they're not challenging and you, you, you like are always feeling a sense of this accomplishment. And then finally with monetization, um, where we're able to um, do the proper merchandising to our players, meaning we have sales in our games, we have events in our games, and there are different stages in the games where different folks are. So, <clears throat> for example, a new player may necess necessitate a certain kind of event, a certain kind of sale, and so um, the machine will say, you get this sale and you get this event. And um, so it creates just a much more customized experience where we're able to maximize our, our, our monetization. And so we've spent the last 10 years building Jam City Live, um, tens of millions of dollars. And this is a technology that the majority of companies um, are not even uh, anywhere close to. And it primarily um, is what gives us a leg up in, in M&A. It's, it's a huge, huge advantage. In, mergers and acquisitions because we're out there looking for those incredibly creative companies that have found the fun and the magic in the games, but they don't have this deep investment in Jam City Live and a technology platform that can greatly increase <clears throat> all of their metrics. And so that's really our secret sauce. Awesome. And then a, a question for both of you here, you know, you, you mentioned M&A a little bit. So uh, Emil, start with you. You know, it, it looks like Jam City, you know, a history of M&A and being successful. Obviously, we've seen the, the video game sector, you know, ripe for uh, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, how does Jam City position itself to be, you know, more of a acquirer versus a possible acquisition target uh, down the road? Well, I, if you look at the track record, which we did deep due diligence on, on the last several acquisitions they did, and you see where that company started and where they ended after getting put into the live, uh, the live ops platform, the, the gains were extraordinary. So to me, that says that they have the technology um, to be the acquirer, and, and now they have the scale and the public currency. So I think... Chris made a smart decision to say it's time for the company to go public because they have figured out the formula for acquisitions. Now they have the currency to use stock or cash to buy these uh, these gaming companies and turn um, their financials into that are maybe, you know, uh, have an X revenue and Y profits into X plus revenue and Y plus profits. And that's why I think um, they're going to be the acquirer of the future and one of the few big uh, public gaming companies out there in the future. Uh, I have a question, and this is really for either of you, who, whoever wants to take it. Uh, I brought up that chart just now that that I think it was Emil who may have mentioned earlier, uh, of or maybe Chris, of uh, uh, the, the uh, this time spent on, on these games, right? And obviously, like the 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 red there is very very impressive. Um, but also, if you if you took a chart of this and you went back a few years, and it would be littered with with you know mobile games of, of, of yesterday to an extent. I mean, you know, I still see Candy Crush on there, Words with Friends, but a lot of games have come and gone. Uh, how how do you how do you uh, avoid that? How do you not avoid it, but how do you protect against it? You know, th this is a, a very much uh, a space of of, of hot potato. Uh, you know, what's hot now may not be hot tomorrow. Yeah, so I mentioned the notion earlier of uh, what we can call forever franchises, and those are games that have generated generated a hundred million or more in lifetime bookings. So we have seven of them, and the, and really the goal is to design those games to last for many many years. So all of those games have large dedicated teams that are constantly building new levels, they're building new worlds, they're building new features to keep the games fresh and fun. So um, players are playing for many, many years and decades. And as you can see, it's become, you know, really part of the fabric um, of their everyday lives where they're spending <clears throat> 30 to 40 minutes um, playing a Jam City game, just as they would, you know, spending 20 or 30 minutes on 
Instagram or Snapchat or, or texting or watching Netflix or whatever, you know, whatever it is they're doing. So as a true product company, this is really the holy grail. If you can build a great product um, that satisfies the need of your customer. And in our case, um, it could be one of many motivations. A lot of times it's just to relax and chill out at the end of the day. And maybe for competition or maybe just to socialize with friends and family. Perfect. I have a, a question on the the financials here. You know, one of the things with the the SPAC is, you know, you have to kind of give a couple of years out. So, and this could be for either one of you. I, I'm wondering <clears throat> how much of the Ludia acquisition and possible growth for Ludia is priced in, and is any M and A priced into the future projections? Yeah. So, first of all, um, Ludia is priced in, and like I think you saw the numbers. Um, 2022 is um, pro forma around 860 million, which represents 23% growth. EBITDA is um, uh, around 115 million, which represents I think 30 over 30% growth. Um, so that's that's priced in. Um, the future M&A is not priced in, um, nor are certain game titles priced in. Perfect. And then uh, a question uh, probably for Emil here, and we also got it from the chat. Um, with SPAC deals, we've seen a, a lot of them where the pipe gets priced at $10. We've seen several where the pipe is priced above the $10 range. Um, according to this presentation, we have the pipe being done at uh, $8.42. Can you tell us why the decision to have the, the pipe shares done at lower than $10? Yeah, I mean, this last few months in the pipe market for every company that's been in the SPAC sort of pipeline had been extremely difficult from a pipe standpoint. So um, one of the strategies we used was can the sponsors, which is my group, contribute to um, some of our sponsor shares to effectively make it a more attractive deal for the pipe investors so that we can speed the process up um, and get to uh, the end state where we can talk about these backing and it worked. So we gave up um, a material portion of our sponsor promote, which effectively went to the pipe investors. And that's why you can get an effective price that, that looked like 842 as opposed to 10. Um, and even at, at that price, it's a screaming deal in our view. At $10, it's still a screaming deal. The, the multiple on 22 EBITDA that the $1.2 billion implies which is at $10, is 10.7. And when you compare that to uh, Zynga, um, Platika, some of the other companies that are in and around the gaming space in the market, it's an extremely attractive deal. And we just made it more attractive because we had to get through that hump of the pipe market that you guys probably talk about on the show all the time in the last couple of months. Um, we, we, we certainly have. Uh, one question from the chat, and then we're gonna let you guys hop here. Um, I guess it's a question for Chris. Uh, are you doing any um, uh, collaborations with Marvel at all? Or is it on the radar? Or I don't know if you can answer that. But <laughs> Yeah, we can't really talk about future <laughs> collaborations. But uh, is there any obviously, news? like Disney. Is there any, any news about it that you can't talk about? No, no Disney's, Disney is, you know, probably the largest IP. I'm okay. Definitely the largest IP holder in the world. And uh, we have a very... Uh, close relationship with them and um, they've been a joy to work with and uh, we're going to be working with them in the future on different projects. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I think that was it. Um, unless there was, let me go do one more pass through. All right. I think that was it. Uh, Chris, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, you know, uh, thanks guys uh, for for answering all our questions. And, you know, yeah, we got that one from the chat as well. So uh, again, guys, joining us on the show, Emil Michael, the, the CEO, uh, XPOA is the SPAC, and Krista Wolf, the CEO of Jam City, the company going public with XPOA. Mobile gaming, very exciting future. We look forward to following the progress of this company uh, and hopefully talking to you both in the future. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules for joining us on Spax Attack. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Spencer. Thank you. 
All right, uh, that was that was a good one. That was a good one. Oh, we, I didn't even ask Chris about MySpace. Ah. <laughs> I know. I thought about that. I was like, he is the founder of MySpace, after all. So yeah. I mean, Spencer, I, I I've talked about mobile gaming for for years. Um, you know that this is a huge growth segment, and this was an exciting one to be able to uh, do. And you know, a, as I said, I've got kids who play a couple of these games. Um, you know, so it's nice to be able to connect uh, with that as well. The Jurassic World game. Uh, I think they've played the the Disney uh, Emoji Blitz as well. Uh, and they have that upcoming pipeline, right? We've got a HGTV uh, home game. Uh, and then we've got the Avatar, Star Wars, another Disney game. And, you know, like that question in the chat said, maybe uh, some Marvel uh, games in the future. I, I figured he wouldn't be able to say he, anything, but. Yeah, but he implied it. He, he did, and they've got a strong relationship with Disney. And let's face it, Disney doesn't make many of their own games, right? They license everything out. So right. they're they're a partner here, so they could get a piece of that pie. So very yeah. interesting. Yeah, that, that was a good one. Mo Mo mobile gaming, obviously, like you said, is a huge, huge, huge growth segment. Um, I don't I don't partake personally. I, I don't need to be spending any more time on my phone than I already do. Um, it's bad enough with, with social media and stuff like that, but but you gotta you know, everyone in gaming says that the biggest growth driver is mobile 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 um maybe we could have asked about what's beyond mobile like um uh metaverse type stuff there's talk about that but that's down the line um but again uh i interesting what what emil said i think it was emil uh very few uh like real <laughs> profitable uh companies like that out there so yeah and, and, you know, to, to the point of, you know, I, I loved your question about asking about games, right? Because the mobile games come and go. I mean, I, I'm guilty of that, right? I've, I've yeah, played mobile games and, yeah. and then you you get sick of them or you don't want to spend the money and you yeah. you delete them and you move on to the next. So yeah. the, the fact that he was talking about the, the Cookie Jam game and where... 80% of the revenue is coming from people who downloaded the game over a year ago. It, it looks like some of those forever franchises, you know, at least still showing signs of monetization. So, you know, and, and the key, I think Emil talked about too, uh, I saw in the presentation was that uh, no game accounted for 20% or more of revenue. So it does seem like they're diversified. Um, you know, you see gaming companies all the time where they live and die by one hit franchise so for a mobile gaming company to have, you know, seven forever franchises and that big of a pipeline, it looks exciting to me. Um, you know, I, I, I like the mobile gaming space. So, Spencer, we, we, we do have a, uh, a item to get to. Uh, we we got to talk about. Um, Wait, Shabbat. I, I just want to go ahead. Go ahead. Mahi um, in the chat, it was the one who asked about the, the pricing of the pipe, uh, the question that we were going to ask anyway. Um, and, it, and it's it's a fair point. It is a totally fair point. It it, it, it doesn't make... I mean, I thought Emil's answer actually wasn't that bad, but it, it's it's sort of a, a thing that makes you go, huh, you know? Why? Well, and, and maybe it's the start of something too. You know, for a long time, we saw all the pipes go at $10. Mm -hmm. And then we started to see several of them done above $10, right? right. Because there was such high demand. Right. So in order to get part of the pipe, you were having to do $12, $14, $15, like the Lucid Motors. And now maybe we're starting to see the trend where in order to get some of these pipe investors to come on board, you have to offer, you know, below $10. And I think some of the keys from Emil where that it sounds like that's coming out of out of them, right? And and out of the money that they possibly could have made by offering the this the pipe at less. So it doesn't seem like Jam City's getting punished at all. It, no. It's the SPAC that's getting punished. But they were so excited to get this deal done that they were willing to you know take the discount there. This is definitely a, a trend we need to watch though and uh, keep an eye on because. It, obviously, it does seem like a red flag to see it below $10. But to me, uh, I'm just cautiously watching. And, and I really like this deal. So, you know, looking at both sides of the coin here. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to uh, the, the hot topic uh, of the day in SPAC world. If there is one, is this uh, this op-ed from Mr. Tomath, Polyopatia. Chris, what did it say? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a ton in this. I'm going to try to highlight some of the keys here. So Chamath had an op-ed in Bloomberg and, and the headline you see there is SPACs need more oversight and, and regulation. And, and we've obviously heard the SEC kind of discuss that as well. 
Um, but he talks about how, you know, uh, IPOs and SPACs both are a bet on the future. Some will succeed, some will fail. And, and then he says that there was a lot of froth in the SPAC market in the first quarter of 2021. As of May 1st, 406 SPACs seeking transactions, 21% were below their IPO price of $10. And of 127 SPACs that had announced but not yet closed, 37% were below the $10 price. Uh, he calls on government regulators to require the principal who is sponsoring a deal to commit personal capital in it. Uh, this will force sponsors to underwrite accurate projections since their capital will be at risk. So of those 127 SPACs that announced but haven't closed their SPAC deal, only 48 of them, so less than half, had some form of sponsor investment, and only 10 of the 127 made a long-term commitment to the company. Um, you know, so calling out some of these SPAC deals that have been announced and, and the fact that the sponsors not putting in their own capital, uh, also talking about, you know, pipes and saying that the pipe investors need investor protections and having the ability to change the terms of the deal if market conditions change. We saw that already once this year where a deal got renegotiated to a lower uh, price. And then we also have had several come out and say that maybe they don't get the deals done because yeah. of the valuation. So, you know, Spencer, there's a lot in here to take away. My, my keys, and I, I'm sure people are thinking on the back burner here is, you know, well, what about uh, Virgin Galactic? Yeah. Right, SPCE, Chamath, he, he had a investment in this company through his SPAC, uh, Social Capital, Hito Sophia, and, and also he put in his own personal money. Well, earlier this year, it was revealed that he pulled his personal money out of the company. Um, so he himself, you know, taking out that personal investment and then also one of his SPAC deals, Clover Health, I mean, this is one that's been hit hard uh, since it completed its merger and it's been the subject of uh, short attacks mm -hmm. and, and also they've lowered their projections several times. So he didn't really hit on it in his op-ed, but one of the things yeah. I don't love about the SPAC deals, right, Spencer, and we were talking about this is, you know, a, a traditional IPO, you can you can only share your past, right? You can't talk about the future projections. A SPAC deal, you can talk about your future as far out as you want. So, you know, some of these SPACs have revenue projections all the way out to 2030, 2035. I, I think that needs to stop, right? I mean, how far out can you really project? And, and you know, we, we have so many of these companies, Clover included, where they go public and then they change their guidance. So that investor presentation that SPAC people saw, it, it, it just becomes worthless because those numbers are no longer accurate. Uh, I mean, so I, I think Chamath is going to take a lot of heat for this be, because it seems like maybe he's guilty of the same things. The one thing I will note is on all of his SPAC deals, he did put in his personal money along with his SPAC. That was one of his keys that he has talked about. And as he noted, we have not seen everyone else do that. So yep. Spencer, uh, I rambled for a little bit. What are your thoughts? Tell me what you think of this op-ed and maybe what you think needs to change for uh, SPACs going forward. Oh, I agree with you about that. I think we all agree about the projections thing. Uh, I think like I can understand if, if people are annoyed um, at Chamath uh, from like a hypocritical perspective because the guy just benefited greatly from the way the system was set up. And now he's saying, well, maybe we need to change, change the rules a little bit. It's, it sort of reminds me of uh, Joseph Kennedy who like made, made his fortune on, in, on things that he later made illegal when the SEC uh, you know, became a thing after the, the, the crash uh, in 29. Um, so here's a guy who benefited from the system and is now saying, well, maybe we need to change the rules a little bit. So I, I get how people could like roll their eyes at that. Um, what I don't get is like the anger at Shamath for, for selling or doing anything. He has one obligation and that's to his investors, right? Um, like if you're mad at Shamath because he sold out of, you know, uh, Virgin Galactic or, um, or cause Clover health hasn't done well. First of all, if Clover health is far from, from an outlier, a lot of SPACs haven't done well. Um, if you're mad at him about that, you're you're missing the point. I, I think Shamath owes you and me 
absolutely nothing, right? He he has a responsibility to his investors, uh, and and that's that's who that's who he has to answer to. He doesn't have to answer to the public. The fact that he was like anointed this like king of the spacs, um, I mean, he probably, I mean, he definitely held, he definitely leaned into that hard, right, and enjoyed the attention while spacs were in favor. But they're they're not now. And he's he's pulled back from the spotlight, which you know you can understand. Um, so so in, in that sense, it's sort of like a, an eye roll thing. Like you know, we, we saw you on TV every week six months ago. Don't see you on TV much now. Where, where you been? But um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know his obligation is to is to his investors and, and, and to no one else. So if you're mad that he's selling out of one company and doing something else, tough, tough, really. Um, but but. Uh, I, I, so, so that's really my point, right? Is do you, do you uh, think I, I, I understand being like, like, like rolling your eyes at this because, like, oh, like now you want to change the rules after you just? Yeah, I was gonna say, do you think the timing is weird at all on this? Because you know, you you mentioned, you know, yeah, he used to kind of be the the anointed king of SPACs, right? That he was yeah. on CNBC all the time, yeah. and it really seems like since SPACs started started downtrending, yeah. and, and Clover got attacked he kind of went silent for a while. Yeah. I mean, he had the occasional tweets out there, you know, yeah. including the the famous one, uh, I'm going to F the F some shit up or something. Yeah. And then the market tanked, right? Um, but anyways, you, you know, and now all of a sudden he's got this op-ed out kind of calling for, for regulation. And it, it, I think that's where, you know, I have a little criticism as it's kind of like you said with Kennedy, you know, it, it was working great for you for a long time. It worked great. Right. Why the change needed now <laughs> when, you know, your own SPACs are, are starting to to do bad. And, right. you know, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have a huge problem that he sold out of Virgin Galactic. He still owns a piece of it, right? It's not like social capital sold all their shares. That was Chamath's personal stake right. that he sold. So he still has an ownership stake. Sure. He's he's still the chairman of the company, right? Like sure, he sure. still runs it. Um, but I, I just think it's weird with the, the op-ed today, especially with the SEC already, you know, diving in. They're already working on it. They I don't think they need Chamath to tell them what, what to do because I don't think they're necessarily going to listen to him. Right. I, I mean, in my eyes, I think we need to stop with the forward-looking projections, you know, more than, let's say, three years out, maybe two. 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 We need the, the, the pipe investors, the founders. That they need to have more skin in the game and it needs to be a tighter lockup, right? So a yeah. traditional IPO, you can't sell your shares for six months. Maybe with SPACs, you can't sell your shares for six months, for 12 months, or until they hit a certain point, right? Yeah. We've seen that with several of these deals where your shares you can't sell until they reach certain milestones, like $12, $14. Yes. Um, you know, and then the other thing I don't love as someone who writes about SPACs is when the press release comes out, it almost never has the amount um, of ownership for the, for the company. So like, let's say XPOA on their SPAC deal, you know, shareholders of XPOA are going to own 28% of the company after the deal, I think. Don't quote me on that. You, you have to go to the investor presentation to get that information. One of the things I've called for changing is put that in the press release. Lay out right in the press release that everyone can see. So and so is going to own twenty percent. So and so is going to own forty percent. So and so is going to own sixty percent, etc. I think there needs to be more disclosure there. Those are my things. I think need to change. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm not the SEC. Right. I'm not Shamath. But that's what I see. Uh, you know, for the market. Right. Uh, and there's something I wanted to add. Oh yeah. Uh, we should, I should also mention that Chamath uh, put his annual investor letter out uh, yesterday. If you want to check that out, uh, not about a read. I was able to skim it. I didn't read the whole thing. Obviously, he's like talking up his performance compared to the S and P 500, which like I don't know if that's like the best comparison. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, he. I, I think he's learning the hard way that. It's all fun when when the market's going up and you're the influencer. Uh, but when you're you're an influencer and the market's going down, it's it's maybe a little bit less fun. Um, we've tried to get Chamath on the show. We're going to keep trying. Um, I can I definitely understand the frustration. People are are pissed, right? Because his because because SPACs in general are out of favor, and and this guy was out, you know, 
bank pound the table on SPACs, um, you know, every day on TV last year. Um, so I, I get yeah, it. I, I think he really just gets so much hate for Clover Health. Like that's really the one. I mean, if you look at the rest of them, right? Like Open Doors trading what, like twenty or eighteen? Uh, IPO Eve in this week, right, is hitting you know twenty bucks going into that. Yeah. Uh, Virgin Galactic. I mean, yeah, it's come down, but it's still over twenty five bucks. I mean, that was a ten dollar deal. Um, you know, the original investment and, and a lot of his pipe deals, he he's done quite well on too, right? MP Materials. Um, ACTC and and others. So it, it's not like he's had a ton of losers. It's really sure. Clo- Clover sure. Health ha- has been the the huge outlier, and it also was you know one that uh, you know uh, Twitter and other groups really got a hold of, and, and then they became really mad when that thing fell. So I, you know, yeah. And also one thing that we can't really understand is like it's probably like if I can curse for a second, it's probably like a big mind fuck to be like to like basically overnight find yourself as like this massive influencer. Right. And like have like, cause obviously he's known in, in the venture world. He, he was early investor in Facebook. Um, uh, people know, people know, knew who he was, but his popularity just exploded. Like seemingly overnight people were worshiping him. That's probably like a big, a big, like like a really weird thing to go through just mentally. And he put out some like really weird stuff, like videos and stuff. And, like that like said some like weird things. Um, it's probably just a big mind fuck, honestly. To to like to be yeah. And uh, Cole Cole in the chat saying his mouth has caused a lot of these problems. I mean, like I said, Chamas had a couple tweets, you know, kind of almost guaranteeing that something was going to happen, or yeah. the tweets talking about his performance. Yeah. So maybe that's rubbed people the the wrong way, and you know, I I just. You know, there's a lot to unpack, you know, from from Chamath as an investor, from this op-ed, you know, and, and I knew this was going to lead to a good discussion. I'm, I'm happy to have you on, Spencer, today to, you know, be part of this. <laughs> you know, I, I there's just so much to talk about with, with Chamath and with these SPACs. You know, the, the other thing is we have we have IPOE, you know, doing their deal tomorrow. And then we have IPOD and IPOF both searching for targets still. IPOF was rumored with uh, Equinox, the uh, gym company, the the uh, Pure Cycle, the uh, yoga brand. But otherwise, we haven't heard a whole lot. Remember, Chamath was going to bring SPACs IPOA to IPOZ yeah, to the market. And he actually filed his next six or seven. Um, so IPOG, IPOH, they've been filed with the SEC, the tickers, and, and to where they could launch in the future. Obviously, there aren't a ton of SPACs going public now. But I, I feel like, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure on him to nail down a big deal for IPOD or IPOF or when his new SPAC's price, mm-hmm. he, he's not going to get that premium that he once commanded, you know, where so many of these SPAC units are trading at $10 or below. Um, you know, so it almost seems like with this op-ed, like he said, he wants to bring the prices of SPACs back up and he yep. thinks his plan can do that. And, you know, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe he's got some points. So, you know, and guys in the chat, I mean, what a, what a lively debate too. It seems like a lot of people enjoying this. Um, So we might have to do this again on a, on a future show and, and talk more about uh, Chamath, but Spencer, before we go, I I do have to say for, for housekeeping, we do have another interview tomorrow. Yeah. FRX, Forest Road Acquisition. We're actually interviewing the founder and CEO of Beachbody, the company going public with Forest Road Acquisition. Uh, this has been you know, one that's uh, not performed the greatest. I think it's below $10, but it's been a, a hot one out there for uh, FinTwit, uh, widely covered. They, they are merging with uh, both Beachbody and then also uh, uh, MyX Fitness. Um, which is seen as a possible rival to uh, Peloton. And, and while I don't necessarily think, you know, hey, they're going to take, you know, all the Peloton's lunch, I, I think the combination of an at-home workout brand like Beachbody, a connected bike, and also they have a nutrition uh, supplements business. I, I think if you combine all those things, maybe you have a, a great digital uh, workout uh, uh, ecosystem going forward. I I, I... I just want to say, um, if he doesn't take off his shirt <laughs> during the interview, I will be. I will consider it a failure. 
I will consider the interview a failure if he does not take off his shirt or if he does take it off and he does not have a beach body. <laughs> both of those things I will 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 annoy me if that doesn't happen. Maybe you need to join the chat tomorrow, and that can be our uh, chat questions. Uh, user uh, user Spencer here says he'd like to sh see your uh, shirt come off. Uh, Maybe but, I should. Maybe I should. But anyways, guys, it, it's yeah. noon. Uh, another great show here, guys. Please smash the like for Spencer for filling in three days in a row. For, for my man, Mitch, We're, we'll be happy to have him back. But what a great, you know, uh, thing that we can keep the show going even when Mitch is out because I've got Spencer who's always more than willing to fill in. And, you know, we, we did some interviews together and they were great. So thanks again. And, you know, remember that Benzinga Pro, uh, uh, 997 a month. Uh, with the code 30 days. So keep an eye out. Uh, there it is on the screen. Perfect, Spencer. And join us again on Spax Attack tomorrow, Beachbody. And stay tuned. Power Hour's got some uh, interviews yeah. coming up as well. So yeah, actually, Power, we're keeping the esports theme going today because we got uh, two guests. We have one uh, on in a couple of minutes. First up is the CEO of Radcom, their 5G play. But then at 12.50, we're going to have the CEO of uh, GMBL, if you're into gaming, uh, you know that one, GMBL, Esports Entertainment. And he's going to be on, Grant Johnson is the CEO. He's going to be on with the Vice President of Marketing for the Cleveland Cavaliers, Matt O'Brien. So we're talking Esports. Yeah, uh, they just at, signed a deal with the Cavs, they, right? They did just sign a deal, exactly. So GMBL at 12.50, RDCM at 12.05, both of those things. Uh, on the Power Hour coming up right uh, right about now. CM. Oh, sorry. Right about now. Uh, so this stream is going to end. We're going to redirect straight to that. You won't have to do anything. And uh, Chris, always a pleasure, sir. Yes, thank Thanks. you, Spencer. Good job today. And uh, the Power Hour is coming up uh, right now, a minute or two. Thanks, everyone.